this this morning that you would be our desire, our focus. I pray that uh, this time would be sweet, uh, it would be real with you. I pray that you'd speak through Michael, you'd speak through your word into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. And before we get to First Peter this morning, we are going to um, continue worshiping as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, Jim sort of walked us through um, the heart of, of the passage in 1 Corinthians 11. It's where we're going to start um, this morning. Um, as we have been talking about submission for the last several weeks, one of the things that we keep coming back to is, is we can do that and we should do that because that's what Jesus has done. He's the perfect example of what submission looks like. And so this morning, before we get into a passage in 1 Peter 3, 7, as we talk to the husbands specifically, um, but also wives as well, as uh, that passage does relate to them as well, uh, we want to we lay a, a foundation, make sure that we understand um, that we do the things that He's called us to do because He's done them first. And that we can only do the things He's called us to do out of the strength which He supplies. And so we do that by celebrating communion. Last August we spent several weeks talking about the Lord's Supper communion and, and what it represented and what it meant, why we do it, what it looks like. And we began that, that conversation um, as we read in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Certainly His death, we proclaim that to one another uh, as a testimony of redemption and forgiveness. But also as we come and partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, it's an identification with Christ's death. We proclaim that in one sense to ourselves and to each other, I too have died. And so therefore, as the week progresses, I need to live out that death. I need to die to self, I need to take up my cross. Then we talked about that it was a symbol of the new exodus. It, it happened, it was instituted on, on that night of Passover. Um, we're not delivered from the Egyptians, we're delivered from freedom, delivered from sin. We've been freed from the power and the penalty of sin. It's a, it's a new exodus. God calling His people, the church, out of bondage to sin into newness of life. It's also a, a new covenant. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, not the old covenant where we bring bulls and goats. Jesus' sacrifice was enough. We proclaim that. We identify with that when we come. That new covenant that I, I am who I am because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross and I celebrate and worship that. Also, a, a new identity. Jesus gathered these disciples around and partook of a Passover meal a Passover meal that was to be celebrated according to the law by families. You celebrate it with your family. And so when he gathered these 12, some were related, but many were not, and celebrated, what he was saying is, you are now a family in the same sense as if you were blood related. In one sense, we now all are because of Jesus' blood. We partake of that together. 
And so this signifies, this celebrates the fact that you and I are as much family as Todd and his boys, as Blair and Mallory, as Tim and Janet. We are as much family as those blood relationships, as those marriage relationships. And then finally, it, it points us to the future when one day we will gather again with our Lord as He has abstained from celebrating this. He says, I won't do this again until we do it together, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's waiting. And so we do this as a reminder that one day He will set all things right. And so we come and we, we gather this morning to celebrate that and help undergird what we're fixing to talk about in 1 Peter 3, 7. And as we've talked about in the last one and a half chapters of all that God is calling us to, to submit, because this is the prime example of what it means to submit. We read these words in 1 Corinthians 11. Beginning in verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as, you, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let us examine ourselves. At the very least, and, and Jim again talked a little bit about that, so at the very least, Paul is talking about the fact that, that there were people in that body who were not treating others the way they should have been treated. They were elevating themselves above other, other people. There was division, there was schism. At the very least... He's talking about the fact when we come together and celebrate this as one family, if we're not, in one sense, treating others better than ourselves, then we're eating and drinking condemnation to ourselves because we're proclaiming, I'm identifying with you, Jesus, in your death, that you gave everything for someone else. And when we're not doing that, we're being hypocritical. And so he asks us to examine ourselves. Where am I putting myself above others? Again, at the very least, where am I putting myself above others? And so as we gather, number one, we do examine ourselves. But at the same time as I heard a man say yesterday and reminded me again, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a funny thing that we come and we... We, we look deep into our hearts and see, where have I failed you, God? And then we boldly and confidently walk up and partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine and experience and celebrate and rejoice in the forgiveness that He offers. Even when 
maybe even a few moments ago or during the week, we have acted hypocritically and we've put ourselves above others. It's a miracle. It's a mystery of what He has done for us. And so would you take a moment and would you think through your week, God, where have I put someone below me for my own needs, my own comfort, my own pleasure, my own peace? Where have I built my kingdom? Confess that. We we repent. He calls us to repent. But then don't dwell there because Paul truly writes, "Therefore therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Receive that forgiveness. And then let's together partake as a family. Would you spend a few moments in in prayer to God? And again, we need to keep that celebration in the back of our minds. Uh, There is a review in the... uh, uh, a summary statement that I've been putting on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. Um, Just a reminder of of what we're doing, where we've been, where we're going. If we, to sum up what 1 Peter is about, um, Peter's writing to them and us. This is not, uh, while it is a a culturally written and contextually written letter, uh, we believe that God's Word applies to us even today uh, in many particulars. Based on what God has done for them, teaches them how to live where they don't belong when they are facing many difficulties. And then last week, uh, we talked about just the structure of what Peter's doing in these uh, several verses, uh, that he's calling four groups of people to submit, uh, citizens and slaves, wives and husbands. And in the middle of that, he gives the example of Christ. So this morning, I want to read that example again and then skip down to verse 7. So that begins in in chapter 2, verse 21, and then we'll skip down to verse 7. And we'll talk about that together. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, an overseer of your souls. And then verse 7, chapter 3, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, use your word to strengthen our hearts. Open our ears to hear and our minds to understand. And move our hearts to be obedient and Ultimately, God, I pray that you would change our wills, uh, that we might truly desire to follow you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Let me give you three kind of foundations that we've talked about, maybe haven't laid out as clearly, but three things are to keep in mind in all of these verses, but particularly today. Whether you're a citizen, a slave, a male, or a female, a parent, or a child, a co-worker, or a neighbor... Jesus is always the example of how we act, speak, and treat each other. Whether that's someone who has more authority or power than us, or whether that's someone who has less authority or power than us, Jesus is always the example. 
Number two, subjection or submission is everyone's calling because it was Jesus' calling. He was called to submit to human form and he was ultimately called to submit to both the Jewish and the Roman authorities in his death. It's our calling because it was his calling. Again, he doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done. And then number three, subjection or submission has nothing to do with worth or ability. That's clear from passages like Philippians 2 where Jesus is called to submit, called to submit even to death, and yet He's the one that has been given the name above every name. There's nobody worth more than Him. And He's the one that Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. There's no one who has more ability. He's the Creator. He's the one through whom all things were created. So, subjection or submission has nothing to do with worth or ability. We have to keep those in the back of our mind as we go through these passages about citizens and slaves and women and men, husbands and wives. Okay? So, we can't forget those. We have to keep those in the back of our mind. But you may say, well, in verse 7, there is no word submit. Uh, And here's where we're going to do things. And I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And and Bo finally said, why don't you just do that? I miss our time of discussion. But it didn't really work. And I I can't talk for less than 30 minutes anymore. So that discussion is going to happen now. And hopefully we'll continue that process. I need you to, and this is going to be awkward for a while until you actually believe we're going to do it this way. But I need some feedback. So guys, specifically to you, when Peter says likewise in verse 7, or some versions may say in the same way, what's he referring to? You have to look at your Bible at this point. The example of Christ. I think that's number one exactly right. Verses 21 through 25, in the same way of what Christ did, likewise, husbands, you act this way. Anything else that you think he might be referring to? He is. And what does he tell them? Do what? You want me to read what he tells them? Well, just just start off. Yeah. What is? What, what's? Why does he start that section off? Likewise. And then the next phrase is, wise what? Okay, so he also tells them likewise. So what's that referring to? Again, I think Christ. What else? We'll go back to the section before that. What's the section before that? Servants. Servants. What does he tell them to do? Be submissive. Okay. Section before that, what does he say? Citizens. Yeah, submit. And actually, that's, that's that first one back in verse chapter 2, verse 13, uh, is kind of the main verb that, that governs the rest of this passage. Most of the rest of the verbs in this section in Greek are participles. So they're all taking their cue from either verse 13 or at the very least the, the imperatives in 17, honor everyone, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay? 
And so there's this idea that they would have heard, likewise, they would have heard the husbands in that day reading this letter would have automatically heard, okay, submit. Submit to what? Submit to what? Well, what does he say next? What's the next short little phrase? Guys, what does the text say? Live with your wives. Stop, right there. Live with your wives. One of the things that he's calling us to do, men, is submit to that marriage relationship. Now, our culture is awash in the idea that marriage certainly is not permanent. It's also not exclusive. Okay? The Bible speaks very clearly and very differently from that. Marriage is to be permanent until death, and it is to be exclusive. In fact, what are the reasons that Jesus gives, that the Bible gives, that divorce is ever okay? Adultery. Adultery, right. Is divorce required for adultery? No, it's not. And in fact, I would highly advise against the idea of that ever being in your mind, men, a way out. That, that never should you say, well, if my wife is unfaithful, I'm going to divorce her. Because again, we always look to the example of Christ. How many of you have been a faithful bride to Christ? Anybody? How many of you has he divorced? He's patient. He's long-suffering. He desires to, instead of getting rid of the unfaithful wife, he desires to nourish and cherish her and hopefully bring her back into a loving, nurturing relationship. And so the D word should never be a part of your vocabulary ever, gentlemen. It should never enter your mind. That should not be, well, if this happens, then I can. That's the only reason the Scripture says that you can file for divorce. But I would encourage you that that's not a mandatory reason that it's okay. We seek reconciliation as long as we possibly can. And so, submission, for you gentlemen, is a commitment to whatever it takes to make your marriage permanent and exclusive. You submit to the marriage relationship. It may not be how you feel. At times you may even feel disrespected and unloved by your wife. In the same way that, that Jesus did, remember in, in John 1 says, He came to His own, but His own did not recognize Him, didn't acknowledge Him, and that He loved them anyway, went to the cross. Are you willing to die? In your submission to that marriage relationship, are you willing to die to what's important to you for the sake of making that marriage permanent and exclusive? So how do we do that? He says, live with your wives, how? What does he say? He answers the question, how? 
in an understanding way. Uh, some versions say with consideration or by being considerate. The King James says, according to knowledge, very literal, live with your wives according to knowledge. What do you think that means, guys? He'd answer that question. This command that Jesus gives you, husbands specifically, what do you think he means by that? What's he saying when he says to live with your wives according to knowledge or in an understanding way? No thoughts? Okay. You have to flesh that out for me. <laughs> when I was in, in high school, uh, I had some friends uh, who could rattle off every statistic of every player on the Texas Rangers. Batting average, home runs for pitchers, ERA, strikeouts. They knew. Some of you are like that today. You, you know possibly far more about your favorite sports figure than you do your wife. At the very least, what Peter is talking about is, do you know her? In other words, to be committed to her, to submit to that marriage relationship, and to be willing to die for what's best for that relationship, you actually have to know her. Well, how do we come to know things? What are some ways we know things? Experience. Okay? You've tried something, made your wife mad, you go, I shouldn't do that again, right? Right? What else? Good. Observation. Do you pay attention? Do you pay attention to what your wife likes? That's hard for me because I don't pay attention to much of anything. A lot of times. I just I have a hard... Met somebody. I'm trying to figure out if it's someone that my wife knows. Well, was he wearing glasses? I don't know. What color was his hair? I don't know. Right? So I've got to work at that. Okay. What else besides observation and experience? Hmm? Discussion. Discussion. What else? Learning from yeah, you watch somebody, we'll get back to that one, we watch somebody else, right? Oh, that's how they do that. But discussion. Guys, it's okay to ask questions. Now, last week we took a detour and I talked to the guys when I was talking to the ladies very specifically and I Guys, I talked to you. Remember what I talked to you about? What did I ask you? Or what did I say last week to make sure you understand what your wife is, is going through? Do you remember? What do you think it would be like to submit to you? Right? God calls wives to submit to their husbands. How, do you, how would you think if someone asked you to submit to you? Somebody at Blair, if you were told you have to submit to Blair, how would you feel about that? Bo, someone said you have to submit to Bo, how would you feel about that? So I, I challenge the guys. So ladies, this morning we take a detour, okay? Don't make it difficult for us. 
okay? Men do not know how to read minds. In, in general, men are a little bit slower when it comes to observation and picking up clues. Don't make it a mystery, okay? If they ask you a question, answer it honestly. Don't, don't say what you think they want to hear, okay? Be honest, be open. If there's something that your husband's doing that's driving you crazy with respect and love, you need to communicate that. They need to hear from you. We're not as smart as we look. Okay? <laughs> Help us out. We need that. Okay? So the second thing submission is, remember the first thing, it's a commitment to whatever it takes to make your marriage permanent and exclusive. The second thing that submission means for you men is it's a commitment to understanding your wife so that you can sacrifice for what's best for her. It's not just enough that I've gathered all this knowledge and I know what her favorite flower is and where she likes to go eat and what kind of clothes she likes to wear and what perfume she wears. That's not enough. The issue is I take all that information, some of those facts, plus her hopes and her desires and her dreams, and then I live my life in such a way that I nourish and cherish her and do what's best for her in that relationship. Why do I do that? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What does it say next? Showing honor to the woman. Why? She's a weaker vessel. Now, Peter's been lambasted over this. And then, therefore, the Bible and, therefore, God for centuries. You look up the word vessel in Scripture when it's not used actually as a vessel like a pot. When it's used metaphorically, it's simply used as a word for the human body. I believe all that Peter's saying is, and this is important, she's not physically as strong as you. And therefore, and we're going to get to the honor thing, flesh that up more in a second, but part of what we do and what we think about, just like last week we said women never use clothes and the way you do your hair and jewelry to try to influence your husband because ultimately it doesn't work, right? It's, it's the way you behave. It's the way you act. It's the inner adornment, not the outer adornment. Gentlemen, never, ever use the fact that you are, in general, physically stronger than your wife to get your way. Whether that's actual abuse, whether that's threats, intimidation, you never use your physical strength to get your way. Ever. If you do that, you're doing the same thing that the women are doing by trying to... to to get you to do something they want you to do by an outward appearance. It's an outward appearance. Remember, it's the heart issue that Peter is after. If you want your wife to change, then treat her like Jesus treated the church. Jesus wasn't a bully. He didn't threaten or intimidate. He loved and he sacrificed. And so, the third thing that submission is, gentlemen, it is never using physical strength or threat or even a deeper voice to get your way. 
See, you can do that, and we're wired to do that. We're wired to use our physical strength in a certain way, but you never do that to get your way. You're submitting to the marriage relationship by limiting your power. And we do that. Another, another how is by honoring our wives. We honor them. What does that mean? How do you honor somebody? What, what, is it, what is the definition of honor? Set apart. Set apart. Okay. Special. Special. So if you were to honor somebody, what does that mean? Lift them up. Yeah. Treat them as special, right? Honor can also mean something else. It also means you, uh, for example, you honor your commitment. In other words, you keep your word. To honor someone means that you live up to the parameters that have been placed on you. So to honor your wife means you actually act like her husband. Again, all this is in play. It's a submission to the marriage relationship. One of the things that we've got to do as men, first of all, before we really can honor, is we can, we can go through and we could brainstorm, what are all the ways that I can honor my wife? Which requires that you know her because the way I honor my wife may not be the way that Todd honors his wife because Dana and Beth are different. But one of the things that I've got to stop doing is dishonoring her. So, gentlemen, in the same way that you need to know your wife well enough to know what that means to honor her, do you know her well enough to know how you're dishonoring her? Football analogy. Okay? How do you win a game? How do you win the football game? You score more points than the opponent. Right. Okay? If every time I walked on, my football team walked on the field, we scored 70 points... That's a good offensive showing, right? But what if every time I walked on the field, the other team scored 77? Would we be considered winners? <laughs> so see, if, if, if you're giving up more points than you're gaining, right, nobody, at the, end of that, at the end of that season, nobody would say, wow, that was a great team. No, they'd say, that was a lousy team. They couldn't stop anybody. The... The emphasis, the focus of that team would be on their lousy defense, the fact that they dishonored, right? And so, gentlemen, if first you don't stop dishonoring, it doesn't really matter how well you honor, right? You're just, you're just playing the video game football, right? I'm going to honor and then I'm going to dishonor. I'm going to honor and then I'm going to dishonor. And you're not getting anywhere. So first you've got to figure out, which may require you asking, dear, how do I dishonor you? What do I do that makes you feel unloved, unrespected, uncared for, uncherished, unnourished? You've got to ask those questions. Why do we do that? Why is it important to honor our wives? What's the next phrase? Why is it important that we honor her? We don't know. Because they're heirs with us. They're heirs with us. What does that mean? What does it mean that you're, you're heirs with somebody? Sharing 
We do. We share an inheritance. Wait, you mean I don't get more than my wife because I'm the head of the family? Isn't the head of the family supposed to get... I mean, shouldn't there be something extra that goes along with that? No, we're co-heirs of the grace of life. goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? Submission has nothing to do with worth or ability. Honor the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You're not worth more than her because you're a man. Any more than the father is worth more than the son. You need to let that sink in a little bit. Because Scripture clearly says, right, man is head of the wife as Christ is head of the man and the father is head of Christ, right? So are we saying that the father is worth more than Jesus? We would get in real big trouble real quick with the Trinity if we said that. In fact, in, in John, there's this, this idea that the Son seeks to glorify the Father and the Father seeks to glorify the Son. There's this mutual building of one another up, right? There's no difference in worth. And yet the Son chose to submit to the Father. Guys, the reason that we do this is because there's no difference in God's eyes between you and her And He desires for you to treat her the way that Christ treated the church, which ultimately was to die for her. And so the fourth thing that submission is for you, gentlemen, is a commitment to value her more than yourself. It's being Jesus to her. It's dying to self for her. And as we've said before, But wait, isn't there a chance that if I do that all the time that she'll take advantage of me? Yes, there is. In the same way that we took advantage and that we still take advantage of the grace that God offers to us through Jesus Christ. I'll guarantee you, in fact, gentlemen, if you love your wife as Christ loved the church, she will take advantage of you. It's in her human nature. In the same way, ladies, if you submit to your husbands, he will take advantage of you. And what we've got to do as the family of Christ is come alongside one another and help one another through those difficult times when our spouse isn't carrying their part of the load. What's interesting is he gives us a reason why this is really important, men. Why do we do this? Why do we submit to a commitment to making marriage permanent and exclusive? Why do we submit to a commitment to understanding our wives? Why do we submit to never using physical strength as a threat to get our way? And why do we submit to valuing her more than our own desires or preferences or likes? Why do we do that? He tells us. Why? Yeah, so our prayers won't be hindered. Now, I'm not sure if he's talking about our prayers with our wives. It's a plural you. Or if he's just talking about you gentlemen, your prayers. You ever prayed and just kind of felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling? There can be lots of reasons for that, but husbands, the first thing you ought to check is, am I treating my wife the way that I should be treating her? That's where I would go first. 
I'm having a hard time praying, I'm struggling, I can't figure out what's going on. Well, ask yourself that question. Am I honoring my wife? Am I treating her as a co-heir of the grace of life? Am I submitting to these things that Peter is calling me to submit to? I'd check there first. There could be lots of reasons. could just be that you, f- you ate something funny that day. But I'd check. That's a serious consequence. Your prayers would be hindered. Our, our, our communication with the Father who loves us is, is... It's like talking on a cell phone at my house. <laughs> I can't hear half of what you say. Is God going to speak to you about other things when you're ignoring the person that He's placed next to you? You really think He's going to be interested in, in helping you along whatever path you're trying to travel if you're not willing to travel the path that He's laid beside you as your wife? Because see, it's not just a marriage for you, right? Outside of the Lord's Supper... <coughs> And baptism, the greatest picture that exists on this planet of what Christ has done for us through the cross is the marriage relationship. You are a walking parable for the world. Again, outside of these two sacraments that we celebrate in the church, Lord's Supper and baptism, marriage is the greatest picture of Christ and the church that exists. And guys, God has tasked you with making sure that is a healthy relationship. Ladies, as we talked about last week, you have a role in that. But we have, we, I don't think of it as a burden. Think of it as a great privilege. You have an opportunity to nourish and cherish your wife in such a way that the world sees a true picture of Christ in the church. Marriage can and should be an evangelistic tool for the world. A picture of what God has done for us. It's a serious calling. And we are called husbands. And for those of you who aren't yet husbands, but may soon be someday, we need to keep that in mind, that we are not getting into a marriage for what I can get out of it. You're making that commitment for what you can show the world and how you can sacrifice for that bride as Christ has sacrificed for His bride. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, I thank You for Your Word and the truth that is in it. God, I pray that You would use it to strengthen and nourish us. God, I pray for the husband specifically this morning in this room. God, I pray that You would encourage them but also that you would challenge them God I pray that you would speak very clearly through your spirit to them in ways that they can do a better job in honoring their wives ways that we can do a better job in nourishing and caring for her God I pray that you would show us very specifically ways that we dishonor our wives God I pray that you would through the power of your spirit strengthen our resolve to be committed to the woman that you have given us. And God, I pray for the, the other men in this room, from those that are the youngest, from Micah to the other single adults in here, that you would uh, prepare their hearts. 
either one day to sacrifice for a woman or to uh, sacrifice for you in singleness. And I pray that you would bless them and that you would strengthen them, prepare their hearts to be the husbands that you have called them to be. Father, we look forward to what you'll do in and through us in this body. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. A couple more things before you're dismissed. Uh, Back on May 11th, uh, we began this section and I talked about, very specifically, Galatians 5 and the fact that uh, we needed to put off those deeds of the flesh and adopt the fruits of the Spirit. And I ask you very specifically to think about, are there a couple of those things to, to pinpoint one or two deeds of the flesh that you need to put to death? And, and what are the, the one or two fruits of the Spirit that seem to be lacking in your life? And to pray about those things and begin asking God to change your heart. Men, very specifically in this room, um, I would like to challenge you uh, over the course of this summer to, if you've not done that yet, to do that. Uh, If you've not listened to that sermon, I'm going to burn some CDs after church today. You can also just go online on the website, the sermon from May 11th, and listen to that. I want you to listen to that if you haven't, if you weren't here on that day. Or if you've forgotten what I said, go back and listen to it. Uh, And then very specifically, I want to get with all the men that are in this room over the course of the next several weeks um, and sit down and, and say, how's that going? Very intentional, very specific. I'm going to ask you to come and sit down with me, and I want to talk about those things. Because if we do not grow deeper as a body, then we're wasting our time. If we just come and sit and listen and go away and we don't apply what we're talking about, then we're wasting our time. The Rotary Club is a good organization. If you want to get together with someone and, and you know serve and do good for the community, that's fine. Um, I'm interested in something more impactful and life-changing. We will not have an impact in this county or this community unless we are growing in depth by the power of the Spirit. And so that's the challenge. You, uh, There's, I don't know, 20 or so of you men uh, in this room, so maybe sooner or later, but I'm going to call you. And so sooner rather than later, Again, May 11th is that sermon. If you haven't listened to it or if you've forgotten what it was, get it. I'm going to burn some CDs after church if you want that, or you can just get it online if that's the easier way for you.